0: This podcast channel is about you successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors. Sponsored by ACJ.Tax. So, good evening, everyone in Indonesia and in Bali, and good morning. To those of you who are joining us from the UK and the US, because some of you have said that you were joining from the UK and the US. Welcome to our weekly live stream, HG.Tax, a member of Moz Roland. And joining us this evening, this morning, we have the, the pleasure and the honor of Diki Tamawi, who is the head of tax for Moores Roland Indonesia. For those who know, don't know, uh, Moe's role in Indonesia is the fifth largest accounting firm in all of Indonesia based in Jakarta with a satellite office in Bali. So close to you guys as well. I'm based in Singapore. So not that far away, same time zone. So we historically, what we would have done is, uh, you know, go through some slides and bore you a bit and then get into the Q and A. But after getting feedback from you guys over time, Because as I mentioned, we do this every week, you know, different live stream every week. We realize, hey, people just want to come in and have a conversation, right? So with that in mind, I've asked you guys to submit questions in advance, which you have. And if you haven't done so, feel free to type them in the box below. If you're on Zoom or if you're on Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, you can, again, type just below and I'll have a look at it later but what i am going to do is respond to well not respond because this is not we you know we're all licensed uh, in terms of being tax professionals so this is not meant to be advice we are going to speak generally about the topics if it is that you want specific advice actionable advice to your unique circumstances you are uh, advised to retain someone to to advise you accordingly. So that, that's that's the right way to do about it. So this consider this uh, educational or entertainment, depending on your perspective. And let's jump in. So the first question, or the first yeah, someone is sitting on capital gains, crypto gains, in the seven to eight figure space in the UK and they're considering their options and bali is on their list and of course bali would be on their list so the question becomes how does bali and i guess indonesia deal with crypto from a tax perspective dicky okay
1: okay okay i try to answer the question so indonesia hair to worldwide income regime. So once you stay in Indonesia for more than 183 days, in the 12 following months, then you are considered to be domestic taxpayer. Then all of your income around the world has to be paid in Indonesia.
0: Hmm. All right, so an initial tax unit, worldwide income. In some regimes, so for example, I guess in the UK and the US, where this, this person apparently may be coming from, capital gains enjoy a, a lower tax rate under certain circumstances, of course, a lower tax rate than ordinary income, like a salary. Is that the same in Indonesia?
1: No. So Indonesia doesn't have specific capital gain tax rate, but it mm. will the capital gain will be added up to the other income.
0: Mm.
1: And then we'll be will get the progressive tax rate accordingly.
0: Right. And the progressive tax rate goes up into the 30s percent. So uh,
1: next year it's going to be 35% for mm-hmm. for the income more than five billion rupiah a year.
0: Mm-hmm. right so for the person who posed that question to on crypto games you're considering bali bali is beautiful but uh once you trigger tax residents uh you advise to follow the rules and the rules mean that if you have a liquidity event you need to pay taxes on any gains that you may get worldwide so hope that answers your question oh there's a, a follow-up from that uh and you recommend they're asking can we recommend two other jurisdictions which give cap, uh preferential treatment to crypto gains right now there are lots to, to assuming of course that you're a crypto investor and not a crypto trader so a crypto trader again it's it's highly nuanced depending on the jurisdiction each one will have its own definition but just to keep it simple assuming that you're a crypto investor so you basically buy and hold. Then uh, nearby, you have Singapore, of course, where there's zero tax and capital gains in general. You also have the United Arab Emirates. So the seven Emirates make up the UAE, the most popular, which of course is Dubai. And there's zero tax, full stop. You can look at that uh, in, the, in the EU and Europe, you have Portugal, which is uh, quite popular for those who are in the crypto space, as well as other certain of the jurisdictions, Barbados, if you're on the welcome visa and the, the other places. So in other words, you'll be spoiled for choice. Have a look around. And if you wanna take a deeper dive into that, you can feel free to reach out to us at Hj.tax All right, next question. I am thinking of giving up my US citizenship and I'm looking at the exit tax. So just for those who may be U.S. exposed, so just to kind of comment on what this person is asking, when you are giving up your U.S. passport or your green card, and you know, we're not the biggest team in the world, but we do three or four every month. This is three or four people who are giving up a U.S. passport or green card, right? So, we, um, so we're kind of familiar with the process. You will face an exit tax if you're what is called a covered expat and the definition of a covered expat is it can be triggered in three ways but the two most common ways would be if you look back in the past five years and your tax liability has been let's say hundred seventy thousand or more or if your net assets you you know all your assets your antique your, your wine collection, whatever it is your cars houses whatever all your assets minus your mortgages and stuff. So big liabilities or whatever legal liabilities you have. If those net assets are in excess $2 million, then you are, you may be subject to an exit tax. So I'm just gonna, right, mute somebody who is, uh, so please keep yourself on mute. At the end, we'll have additional questions if you really need to ask, or you can just type below, right? So. If it is that you do trigger that exit tax by virtue of being a covered expat, certain calculations will need to be made. And this person is asking about RSUs or restricted stock units, which of course, immensely popular, particularly those in the tech space. So I'm assuming this person works in the tech space as well. So it really depends as to whether you should uh, include your RSUs in the calculation depends on whether your RSUs are considered eligible deferred compensation, ineligible deferred compensation. What do we mean by that? If it's eligible, then you don't need to include it in the calculation. As when there's going to be a distribution, if there's a li- when there's a liquidity event later on, after you've surrendered your passport or green card, it'll be subject to withholding automatically from the U.S. perspective. So that's why they make it eligible and deferred compensation. So, right, so like a 401k or whatever the case may be. So that that would also fall into that category. So if your RSU is, is potentially issued by a US company, then it may be, of course you need to get proper advice, but it may be eligible deferred compensation. If your RSU, is not issued by a US company, it may be ineligible. So in other words, it needs to be included in the uh, n- your net worth calculation to see whether you over $2 million or not. So just in terms of that mathematical calculation, that's how we treat with RSUs. hope that helps. Uh, if not, feel free to reach out and we can take a deeper dive into your situation. The next question, So could you tell us more about the retirement visa in Bali or Indonesia in general? But I guess the person is asking for Bali retirement visa, Dicky.
1: Yeah, for retirement visa, uh, there is an age limit. Yeah, 55 years old, I think above. And uh, yeah, you may seek, seek help from the legal counsel if you want to have that visa. Uh, I think, Darren, maybe you want to brief some more about the legal requirements?
0: Sure. What what might be easier, what I can do is I can just share screen. So, again, if, uh, if you go to the Moore's Roland website, so this is moors.roland.com that's the website for moors roland indonesia and i guess if you just google in general you'll find a lot of information but uh i think the the good thing in having support from the team at moors roland is that it's not a broker it's not somebody who is may not be qualified moors roland has uh its own legal department so you get uh qualified and experienced Indonesian qualified attorneys who are bilingual, English and Bahasa Indonesia, who can guide you through the process, not just of this visa, but the others. So uh, all the criteria there, including age and and so on, and the income that you need to prove, which right now is uh, 1500 US per month, which is um, pretty competitive, especially in view of the recent changes in the MM2H or My Malaysia Second Home. Uh, visa which is the equivalent retirement visa in Malaysia and some of the recent changes in the retirement visa equivalent in the Philippines as well it just makes Indonesia more attractive by comparison so again have a look reach out to us and and we can walk you through that process next question and Dickie I think this is another one for you. Someone is asking about working online so uh, if someone is a YouTuber for example or an online influencer and they are earning money while being based in Bali whether it's on a retirement visa or social visit visa how is that viewed from a tax perspective Dickie?
1: Yeah so it, it will be difficult for the tax officer to get to caught that kind of business yeah unless you are quite big and they know you are doing the business in indonesia and they know your name they can check your name on the immigration office and they will come at your door <laughs> and will charge you with the income tax Otherwise, uh, no, otherwise, I don't think currently they have the technicality to, to get, to get the YouTubers Mm -hmm. from, they just don't have the data for
0: that. Right. Understood. Understood. So I, you know, just to kind of recap what you're saying, it's the two angles that depending on the visa that you're in Indonesia with like a social or retirement, uh, working even working online technically may be a breach of the immigration rules. yeah that yeah. that's that's the first thing so they you have an immigration problem if you get caught and then okay. secondly you have a tax problem assuming that you do trigger tax residents by virtue of being in indonesia more than 183 days for example or yeah so the correct thing would be to fix your visa situation get the right visa as well as register and pay taxes and from our experience, how do they figure out? You know, just to echo what Dicky has said, you know, it's it's quite it's quite difficult for the tax team and the tax authorities to figure it out, unless you're really big. And of course, there's there was a lot of chatter about the lady, I think, at the end of last yeah. year, yeah. who said certain things on social media, and it got a lot of attention, and she got in trouble from both uh, an immigration and a tax perspective. So that's how they find out. Uh, so it could be you, you, you're too good at your job as an influencer. And you get a lot of attention, which is, I guess, what an influencer is looking for. Or you may have competitors. We've seen competitors who may, for whatever business region, reasons, or jealous ex-employees or business associates or whatever, anyone can basically report you and if they are incentivized to do so. And if you're reported and if you're found to be in breach of immigration and or tax rules, you know, you you have a problem. I remember being in the U.S. Embassy in in Jakarta and those who've been on this particular uh, Bali talk have heard me give the story before. And I remember speaking to one of the consular officers just having a, a chat about what's going on and, They said that, you know, sometimes he has like one or two people permanently dealing with, and this is from a U.S. perspective. I'm sure for the other Western embassies, they may have similar stories. And this is before the situation in 2020. You know, he had staff almost full-time getting U.S. citizens in Indonesia out of trouble. So those have been caught working, specifically working without permission. You know, it's, it's like a full-time job for one of the consular officials. So they, the point of giving that little anecdote is just don't do it because you get, it creates no end of trouble if you do get caught and people get caught all the time. Not just, it's just that that uh, lady on YouTube last year, she was kind of big, but on the down low, people just get caught all the time and you may not hear about it. So yeah, just do the right thing. All right. So moving on to the next question. Ah, I have not been based in Bali for a while, and I have not been filing tax returns in Indonesia, which you should. And I found out that there's some sort of amnesty program. Dickie, could you tell us more about the voluntary disclosure program?
1: Yeah, there is one law harmonized uh taxation law that uh, one of the article, yeah this one, yeah harmonious tax law uh, they they want to give uh voluntary disclosure for for the taxpayer yeah And there are two scheme. there's two policies will be in place for six months. Or six months only next year starting January 1st to June 30 2022 yeah and the first scheme is only applicable for individuals and corporation who already participate in tax amnesty program in 2016 and yes 2016 yeah so if you are a company or individual, uh, tax amnesty participant, then you can follow again the policy, but the asset is when you get the assets below 2015 and below. Yeah. So you can disclose again if there is an asset that you forget to disclose at that time. Yeah, this is the tax rate, the final income tax, tax, tax rate for the asset you declare. 6%, 8%, and 11%. Yeah, 11% for foreign asset declarations. It means that you have uh, maybe asset in Singapore, Hong Kong, anywhere in the world you want to declare. Yeah, Then you have to pay 11%. Okay. So, and then the second scheme, the second policy is about... You move the slide. It's okay. For second policy, it's for only for individual taxpayers or acquired assets during twenty sixteen to twenty twenty that have not been reported in the twenty twenty annual tax return. So this this second policy is different with the tax amnesty when you when the tax amnesty in twenty sixteen. Individual and corporate taxpayer can participate in the program, while in this second policy, only for individual taxpayers. Yeah, the the why why they 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 run this voluntary disclosure program because of the AO, A, AEOI, automatic exchange of information. So they want Indonesian governments, especially the Directorate General of Tax, want to give, uh, give some time, give times, for the taxpayer to disclose by themselves. And the tax rate is much higher in the second policy. 12%, 14%, and 18%.
0: Okay, back to you, Darren. Okay, so yeah, so I mean, just to just to recap um, and to emphasize what Dicky just said, you know, Indonesia is like many developed countries. If you, you know, from the U.S. or if you're from certain European countries, it is quite common that you have to disclose foreign financial uh, foreign assets on your tax returns. On so in, in the U.S., you have the FBAR is a foreign bank account report. You have to report investments in foreign companies and stuff like that. Same in other Europe, in many European countries as well. So there is the actual calculation of your tax liability as well as the disclosure of assets that you have. Now, if it is you've made uh, an omission in either one of those spaces, you can you can speak to Dickie and his team and they can walk you through the process and see whether this amnesty, this voluntary disclosure program, to use the correct term, is, is the right fit for you and whether you can benefit from this. But, and to just emphasize what Dickie said at the end, be, you know, how would Indonesia find out about what you're doing overseas? Well, it's due to the automatic exchange of information. Uh, Indonesia has been, their tax office has been pretty diligent. They've been signing uh, governmental agreements with governments in the region, Uh, Singapore right nearby, Malaysia, Australia, certain European countries. So basically, that's how governments now have signed legis- have signed agreements and enabled domestic legislation to bypass bank secrecy rules so it's before it was information upon request so like someone had to uh you know like if the australian government for example wanted to find out whether any australians had bank accounts or business activity in, uh, in indonesia they'd have to you know make a, a formal legal request and may have to go before an Indonesian court of law. And then the court would allow the relevant bank to disclose. And you know, that process takes a long time. Now it's automatic. <laughs> now it just happens. It's it's just an automatic exchange of information. And you may not be aware that your data is being shared with the, the country of origin or whichever country you're exposed to. Because as part of this whole new, legal framework, which is global. Most countries in the world have signed it, except for the US. Uh, so most countries in the world have signed it, which means that each bank, so each, you know, each financial institution, so like all the banks in in Indonesia need to go through their books and identify any accounts that may be held by someone who may be exposed to another jurisdiction, even if they don't self-identify that I am Singaporean or I'm Australian or I'm I'm a Brit doesn't matter whether they self-identify or not. If the bank has reason to suspect that this person may be Australian, they may be Singaporean, they may be whatever, then by law, they need to send a report. So that's that's how the information goes. So again, it's just it just makes sense to do things the right way. And if you have assets overseas and you have income overseas that you may not have been reporting, now is the time to reach out to Dickie and his team. Yeah. So moving on to the other questions that you guys sent in. Okay, right, next one. If I receive payments outside of Bali, would it still be considered tax? Okay, right. So it's quite common before the the whole uh, health situation I, uh, I've, I'm close by in Singapore. So we'd be in Bali pretty often and speaking to people who are long-term residents or maybe they're in co-working spaces and networking events. A lot of people are under the mistaken impression that you can live in Bali. And as long as the money doesn't come into Bali, so they're setting up offshore companies in Hong Kong with bank accounts. They're setting up entities in Singapore, of course, like LLCs in the US. And they think, hey, once the money doesn't come into Indonesia, I'm good. Mm, That's not exactly how it works. As as Dickie pointed out when he uh, was addressing another question that was posed. When you're a tax resident in Indonesia, you're subject to taxes on your worldwide income. So it doesn't matter whether, I know some people confuse it with Thailand, right? With the whole remittance thing. It's not as confusing as Thailand. I think it's a simpler tax system in Indonesia. So once you're earning money, wherever in the world you may be, or wherever, the world, wherever in the world that income may wherever in the world that website may be hosted wherever in the world your company may be incorporated you are there in Indonesia you need to pay taxes in your worldwide income and declare your assets worldwide simple so well, that answers you moving down the list of questions that were asked okay a rental property back in the u.s is it taxable in bali i think by now you know the answer to that question right uh yes whatever rental property whatever income producing asset you may have wherever in the world it may be it is the income is taxable in indonesia and the existence of the asset must be declared to indonesia as well of course Once you have a tax team that knows what they're doing, you will not be double taxed on the income because there are foreign tax credits. And in this case, between the US and Indonesia, there's actually a double tax treaty in play. So you know you're not going to be taxed twice. Just, you know, it just needs to be declared. Hmm. Next question. Okay, someone is asking how can the tax authorities in Australia find out about my business and my bank accounts in Bali? I think we've answered that when we spoke about the automatic exchange of information, yes. otherwise known as a common reporting standard. So that, that is clear. Uh, someone is asking, from a tax perspective, uh, which is better, Malaysia versus Singapore? So that's, that's, a, that's an unusual question. It really depends uh, on what you're trying to do, what kind of business you're in. Uh, the in terms of direct taxes, so normally in a jurisdiction you have direct and indirect taxes. So your direct taxes would be what you pay directly to the tax office. Would be typically your individual, your personal income taxes, whatever you earn, you you know you sign, you pay, and then your company would pay its corporate taxes direct to the tax office, right? But there are also indirect taxes, so that would be like what they call GST or VAT or sales taxes, and, and so that's something you need to consider so generally speaking Singapore has low direct taxes so the corporate taxes and the personal income taxes are relatively low but the indirect taxes are high so alcohol cigarettes uh so like that kind of sales tax the GST is you know and and the duties to bring it in so things are pretty expensive but in Malaysia the direct taxes are gonna be higher, but the indirect taxes may be lower. Plus in general, it's a lower cost of living. So it really depends on your situation. You can't say that one is better than the other from a tax perspective. Everyone needs to measure and and evaluate it from your individual perspective. And that's a service that we provide as well because we have a a most relevant partner office in, um, in KL. So if it is that you are considering moving either on your own or with your business to either Singapore or Malaysia, we could model that for you. So we could prepare a model where we model what the taxes would be like if you move to Singapore versus what, the, what your taxes would be like if you move to Malaysia. And so it won't, be, it won't be anecdotal. You'll have a real comparison. So that's something we can do. Uh, just reach out if, if that's what you're looking for uh next question well, last question on this list of questions that were submitted in advance okay and then i'm, I'm yes i'm seeing some people writing questions below we will get to that as soon as we just finish those that were submitted in advance so thanks for your patience right so i'm an american i'm an american and i have short-term losses from crypto sorry to hear that some of those coins didn't do too well uh Can I offset these losses against my ordinary income from a U.S. perspective? Unfortunately, not exactly, kind of, not exactly. So if you have a short-term loss from crypto, I'm assuming you're a crypto investor, not a crypto trader, big difference. If you're a crypto investor and you've lost, uh, you made short-term losses, those short-term losses can first be offset against short-term gains. That's the first offset. And if you have anything left over in those losses, then you can use that to reduce uh, your long-term capital gains. So first, the short-term capital losses must be offset against short-term capital gains. And then if there's anything left over against long-term capital gains, and then if there's anything over, left over after that, then you may be allowed to reduce your ordinary income, your taxable, ordinary income like your salary and or interest from your investments whatever it may be a lot but there, there are limitations on that reduction to your ordinary income so if you marry filing jointly that'll be three thousand dollars so that's so anything above that i don't know how big your losses were then you get to carry that forward to the next calendar year the next tax year so i hope that helps if you want to take a deeper dive into your situation from a U.S. tax perspective again just just reach out let's just let us know and so now I'm moving to some questions that someone typed below so I'm a, a Brit nomad so I guess a, a UK citizen traveling around still working for my own company okay a, a UK company but now tax-free as a non-resident Will the British government likely be sharing income details with other countries so they can tax me? Okay, let's unpack that. So first of all, HMRC is becoming, uh, just like most other jurisdictions, I'm not picking on on the UK government, right? I'm just saying that in general, many governments are really sensitive about taxes right now. Obviously they have a lot of expenses related to what's going on i can't say what it is because then we get censored so everyone knows what's going on governments have huge bills so every penny counts right so to be uk uh not uk tax resident it is probably a little bit more involved than many people think yes there's a statutory residence test so they count the number of days in US soil. And that's what people would mostly go with because that's quantitative. You just count, oh, I'm not in the UK for the entire year and the year before that, I'm good. Now, are, just like other European countries, the UK also has a closer connection test. So yes, I know you're not in the UK, but do you still have a flat or an apartment in the UK? Is your family still there? Such that it can be construed that you have a closer connection to the UK than anywhere else, then you may still be pulled back into the UK tax net. But let's say that you know you're good, you plan this thing out, and you definitely have severed all ties with the UK, so you're tax-free everywhere, right? If you have a bank account in Indonesia and you would have opened it up, you need to show ID, so you'd have showed them your UK passport. Then yes if the Mandiria, whichever bank it is you're banking with, if they're following the rules, they should be sending reports back to HMRC in the UK. Now, as to what HMRC does with that, it's really up to them. Uh, they can say, you know, they can, depending on whether it's worth their while, I guess, you know, if, if you're doing pretty well and I'm, I'm sure you're successful at what you do, then they may ask questions like, well, okay, uh he's resident in indonesia is he is he really resident there or is he does he have the account and is he moving around and if he's resident there uh indonesia is he paying taxes there Oh, he's not maybe he should be paying taxes with us so let's let's send him a letter right at the, at the last known address that we have for him so it could be it could Uh, create situations, false alarms because you could be genuinely properly resident in Bali right now or, or, you know, in Australia or wherever and therefore not with the UK. But it does not stop the UK from asking a question. So the moral of that story, as I said before, is to just make sure that you're straight. Just make sure that in all the jurisdictions in which you may be exposed, that you're doing the right thing and you're filing the necessary reports and you're paying any taxes that may be due. So then you have nothing to worry about, right? Hope that helps. Okay, I'm just gonna have a quick look in some of the other platforms to see if there are other questions being asked. In the meantime, yes, feel free to type your questions below. I'm gonna have another look at, gonna look on LinkedIn. Okay, all right, no questions there. And on YouTube. Okay, we're good. All right. Okay, it's all right, so someone is asking, Uh, I won't call your name, right? But is perpetual travel with short visits to various countries still viable? That's a great question. And I guess there are two angles to that. Uh, Many countries aren't like fully open the way they used to be. So for, you know, like Thailand, you you may need to enter on something like a long-term visa, like a Thai elite visa, similarly. Indonesia you may they may only at this stage many countries aren't allowing foreigners or if they are they're coming on some sort of long stay visa so in that case just being a perpetual traveler and dipping in and out may may be possible with some jurisdictions but may not be possible any longer with others that's from that's purely from an immigration perspective Uh, from a tax perspective just you know, looking at a trend. And again, this is a trend that happened before the present crisis, but the present crisis has accelerated that trend. There's a trend towards uh, governments being more vigilant when it comes to taxation. And therefore back fallback rules that apply to many uh, jurisdictions that may not have been in existence or may not have been enforced previously. So like in Europe, you have that closer connection test. And in some European countries, even though you leave, you are still deemed to be resident for a number of years. And it's a bit of a process for a stubborn residents uh, in Canada, as which uh, the, the situation with the tax office in Canada is similar to the ATU in Australia and in New Zealand as well. They want to see, they they really have a problem with perpetual travelers in that it, if you have, if you're a citizen or if you're a tax resident in, in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, then they want to see. well, we don't get that. We don't get that you can just be traveling around and not have a permanent base. And if it is, if you cannot prove that you're a bona fide resident of another jurisdiction, like show me a long-term lease, show me a gym membership, show me paying utility bills. If you can't do that, Then fallback rules sometimes is ATO in Australia, we wanna tax you, same in Canada, same in New Zealand, and under some circumstances, same in the UK as well. So it really depends, but generally speaking, the idea of being completely disconnected and traveling around tax-free is becoming more and more difficult. So we've spoken about the immigration challenges, we've spoken about tax, and last but not least, it's banking. If it is that you are independently wealthy and, and you trust fund or, or whatever, then that's fine. That's a different conversation. But many people are nomads and they're still working. If you're working, then you, you're doing something online, presumably, and you are being paid into a bank account. Now that creates a, a separate challenge that we've seen with uh, quite a few clients in, in Asia. So I I like to give the example of a a DJ that we were working with. Uh, He's supposed to be popular. I'm I'm not into EDM, so I didn't know who he was, that he was famous. But he has been living and traveling around Asia for quite a few years. And he's done well for himself. He's he's pretty popular. So he has quite a decent-sized bank account in a certain Asian country. I won't say which one it is. And he had a problem back in his home country. He's originally from Europe and he had to go back home. His, his mom was unwell and he had to go back home to his country of origin and to, you know, to take a, a, his mom and just to settle back into where he, were, where he was born, grew up, went to school. He, and he had a bank account from like, since he was a teenager or whatever. And he wanted to transfer the money that he had been making outside back into his European country of origin. And guess what the bank said? Well, you know, well, hold on. Where is this money coming from? And, of course, he explained that, well, don't you know who I am? You know, I'm a DJ. This is what I've been doing, whatever. But the bank was just very cautious. And they wanted to see, well, I understand what you've said. And I understand how you claim to have earned that money. But can you prove it? And you know, different banks or different financial institutions, different countries—they have different uh, levels of proof. Of, the burden of proof is going to be different. But I think what most people would agree is that a bank will feel comfortable if the money is supported by a document issued by another country. Because if you if invoice, has given anybody two minutes of Microsoft Excel, they can produce invoices, right? and receipt so that means nothing but if you have a tax return that you filed back in bali or chiang mai or bangkok or you know singapore or wherever it is you were if you have a tax return when you go back you, your bank will feel comfortable yeah this money is okay this money is legit he you know this is the amount and you pay taxes on it but If, you know, forget immigration, You know, forget whether you pay tax back in that country. The the problem is if you want to move that money from bank to bank, you may have a problem. And then we've had other clients, they're not trying to move the money. They've just left the money in there. And then their bank manager, the bank officer, with whom they've had a great relationship for years and years, has then, you know, send them an email, we need to talk and come on in. And so they go in. I know you've been with us for a really long time, but we're getting pressure from, we're getting a lot of pressure from upstairs for our paperwork. Can you show us tax returns? Can you show us how you've been earning this money? I know how you've been earning the money. You know, you and I, we're friends. We know each other, right? But do you have any paperwork? And if you don't have any paperwork, we're going to have to give you 30 days to get the money out of our bank. Otherwise, we'll prepare a check and we leave it for you to pick up. So you basically be kicked out of the back. And that is happening more and more often. So if it is your perpetual nomad, if it is that you, because there's so many websites where this is hotly debated, traveling the world, living tax-free, from an immigration point of view, yeah, maybe you're able to do it. If you're not American uh, from a tax perspective, yeah, maybe you'd be able to do it as well. But from a banking perspective, you may find yourself locked out of the banking system and yeah so over to you i hope that helps answer your question sir all right uh i'm just gonna have a quick check to see whether there are any more questions and i don't think there is uh all right thank you for joining us and as I mentioned, Tax, have a look. We do it. we do this every week, just different jurisdictions, uh, different topics. If you want to reach out to Dickie and his team in, in Indonesia office in Bali and in, of course, in Jakarta main office, feel free to do so. I just, I had the website on the screen earlier. It's mores Roland.com. Oh, um. You'll see Dickie and all his colleagues, and you'll see all the contact details. Feel free to reach out. In that case, thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye.
1: Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on US Expot Texas and International Entrepreneur Texas at www.htj.tex. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tax Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult offer Zoom. Number four, high net worth, we can quote for doing your U.S. international taxes returns. Our books and upcoming event are available at HTJ.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help at to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.